The reading for the day comes from Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. We're in the midst of this series, The Upside Down, where we're trying uh, to get a handle on the kingdom and what exactly Jesus means when he teaches frequently about the kingdom and the way. This way, this different kind of being that invites us into a different kind of living, a fullness of life. As we talk about at Zao a lot, we want to be fully among the living, fully alive. And that that invitation into eternal life is not some promise after we're dead, but a promise that begins here and now when we open ourselves towards the fullness of life that is the kingdom already and not yet. And because Jesus knew we would have such a hard time understanding, he told many parables. These weird, cryptic little stories invited us all into our imaginations. It, it continues to invite us into our imagination in different ways every time we approach the scripture. And uh, today we're going to look at a couple that have many different interpretations. Last week we talked a bit about the flowers in the field and the birds in the air and I interpreted that passage by distilling it into this idea, aim higher, worry less. Functionally, raise your expectations of what is possible and what is provided. Know that surviving is not enough, but that thriving is the way of the kingdom of God. That full life is provided. And that when we obsess about the things of this earth, which are the ways of survival, we can miss out on thriving. But that true confidence in the unknown opens the way to the kingdom and to a different fullness of being. Because the kingdom is so much higher than the ways of the world. And God wants us to thrive. So what happens when we get a glimpse of this different way of being, when we start to understand what it means to move from surviving to thriving? Well, we have two stories today, two very short stories, a total of three verses today in which Jesus invites us into our imaginations about what exactly does happen when we catch a glimpse of the kingdom way. In story one, we learn that the kingdom is like a treasure. But that treasure has been hidden in a field. As a side note, it was not uncommon then, as throughout history, for people to hide valuable things in the ground, especially during times of unrest or instability or war. Josephus, who is an ancient historian, wrote actually about the frequency of Jewish people hiding their valuables by burying them into the earth and how the Romans would go searching for them, trying to dig them up. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for something truly valuable, a treasure, to be hidden in a field. 
And so in this story with this treasure hidden in a field, someone comes along and finds it. They, they cover it immediately, hiding it. But they are full of joy. This person has seen the kingdom. This person has won the lottery. He knows that everything that he has acquired in his life pales in comparison of value to this treasure he has just discovered. He sells what he has. He says, take everything. I don't want it. I don't need it. I need this treasure. And with the proceeds of the sale of his entire life, he buys the field. Then we come to story two. The kingdom is like a merchant. Note the change of subject here. Before, the kingdom was the treasure itself. Now the kingdom is the person, the merchant. The merchant is searching for fine pearls. Pearls would have been an incredibly expensive luxury item, kind of hearkening back to this idea that God's kingdom is lavish, that it's not just about surviving but thriving, that it's about abundance and beauty and more than enough. And so this merchant who is searching for pearls finds one of incredible value and he sold everything he owned. Take it. I don't want it. I don't need it. I found this great pearl of enormous value and he buys it. Now, there are many interpretations of each of these parables. That's the beauty of parables. There is infinite meaning, and it's an exercise in imagination. In the first parable, where the treasure is the kingdom, we can understand that the kingdom itself is worth so much more than the ways of the world, that when we discover it, it fills us with joy. And we sell everything. We divest ourselves from the ways of the world. We say, take everything. Everything that has come before. I don't want it. I don't need it. I need the kingdom. I need this new way. I need fullness of life. I need to thrive. And we divest from the ways of the world and invest everything we have, our whole being, into this new way, the kingdom way, which we recognize as so much more valuable the pearl could be understood in just this same way. But what about that curious change in subject? The merchant as the kingdom rather than the pearl itself. Let's think that way and see where it takes us. If the kingdom is like a merchant searching for priceless pearls, the kingdom we know is a very different way of being, the way Jesus says, I am the way. So perhaps here the kingdom can be understood as Jesus himself searching for those he loves, these priceless pearls who he knows are worth more than anything else. And Jesus is willing to give everything up, take everything. I don't want it. I don't need it. I just want you. And so on the cross, Jesus gives up his own life for the priceless pearl of you. Another version of the treasure parable 
is told in the Gospel of Thomas, and it goes a little differently. Now, you may not have heard of the Gospel of Thomas before. That's because it's not in our canonical Bible. Um, when I say canonical, that just means that a Bible you would find at a bookstore or um, uh, even kind of on like Bible Gateway, it's not going to include the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas didn't make the cut when people were deciding what would make it into the Bible. It's a few hundred years later than the other Gospels that did make it in. And it's a collection of Jesus' sayings. It was compiled in the East and has a lot of Eastern influences and is very consistent with Eastern wisdom text in, it, in that it compiles the Jesus sayings. And so here's what it says in the Gospel of Thomas 109. Jesus said, The kingdom is like the man who had a hidden treasure in his field. He did not know it was there. When he died, he left the field to his son, who knew nothing and sold the field. The buyer came to plow the field and found the treasure while working. He began to lend money at interest to all who wanted it. Now there are many possible interpretations of this slightly different parable, but I'll share with you what came up for me while reading it. What if the owner of the field is those who have passed along the teachings of Jesus without understanding the kingdom or the hidden treasures and pass them along generation to generation of those who do not truly know, Christians who take for granted the hidden treasure of the kingdom, not truly understanding, and then eventually sell out those teachings to those who would exploit the power of the gospel they see for their own gain at a cost to others. In the scriptures, it says that charging interest is wrong. It's called usury. And God doesn't want any part of that. God wants the gift economy, that freedom of exchange, that giving as an act of love, that receiving as an act of love. And interest is the epitome of an exchange that is not a gift of love, but is for profit. So who has profited off the hidden treasures of the gospel, not because they truly understand, but because they see that it can be exploited, sold to others at a cost? This is what I hear in the Gospel of Thomas's version of the parable of the treasure hidden in a field. Now back to the pearl. There is another passage that always comes to mind when I hear this. It is earlier in the book of Matthew, and it says, Do not cast your pearls before swine. Now, this is kind of a one-off comment of Jesus's. It's within a bigger um, conversation about wealth and uh, just a whole collection of Jesus's teachings. But when Jesus talks about pearls in this way, and then just a few chapters later talks about pearls with this merchant, we have to wonder if there's any connection. Swine, or pigs, were a common Jewish symbol for Gentiles or non-Jewish people. But particularly, pigs were a symbol of the Roman Empire, their occupying force, those armed militant 
folk who would come in and control and intimidate and harass and police the Jewish people. In our own modern culture, pig is a term for folks that we associate with empire and domination. And so we have to wonder, what does Jesus mean when he says, do not throw your pearls, perhaps a symbol for the kingdom, before pigs? One scholar says, perhaps this is a reasonable limit on evangelism. Don't waste your energy on those who are not ready to receive the gospel. Another, Dallas Willard, says, pigs cannot digest pearls cannot nourish themselves upon it. And noting that says that if a pearl was thrown before a pig, it would be gobbled up, but swallowed without being digested, perhaps repeated without being understood. So bringing this back to the merchant who discovers the pearl, which is the kingdom, could this mean that Jesus the merchant does not cast his beloved before the empire to be gobbled up? Or does it mean that the pearl which represents the gospel itself can never truly be digested, understood, internalized by those whose identity is within the empire, the so-called pigs, until they align with the ways, until they cease to align with the ways of the world? until they divest themselves from empire and from power and the domination that they wield. Until they divest, they will never be able to buy into that pearl, to digest it, to be nourished by it. Parables are so amazing because they're so rich. These are all interpretations that we've gotten from just three dense verses, y'all. And at this point, I'd like to stop offering multiple interpretations, and we'll zoom in on the lessons to be learned from the first, first interpretation, that these items of value, the treasure and the pearl, are the way of the kingdom, that we are the discoverers, and that selling all we have means divesting ourselves from the ways of the world to invest in true life, eternal life that starts now, the way, the way of the kingdom. There are three main elements to this interpretation. One is the value of the kingdom. The second is the cost of and call to discipleship. And the third is the joy of discovery. So beginning with the value of the kingdom, both stories in both cases, the treasure, the pearl, were worth more than everything that came before. Their whole lives prior, the finder of the treasure and the merchant of the pearls, the life before wasn't worthless, but it was literally worth less. Nothing compares to the value of what has been found. Everything that came before was a pale imitation, and so they are invited to say, I just want this. I just want God. I just want the kingdom. And they know in the core of their being, they recognize the true worth of things, the value of a different way. Understanding the value of the kingdom, the value of that treasure, the value of that pearl, is an invitation to never settle. 
The finder of the treasure got lucky, but the merchant was searching. He knew something more worthwhile was out there. In this life, we are so often told to settle. What has the world told you to settle for? What do you tell yourself to settle for every day? Do you accept things the way they are? Usually, it's not that we can't see the value of something better. It's not that we can't imagine the kingdom as we know that it could be. But it feels just out of reach. The cost deters us. It feels impossible. We know that we would have to sell everything to get there. When I was an adolescent and suffering, I was a heroin addict, as many of you already know. And my partner at the time was also addicted and using. My partner would say to me often when I would talk about getting clean, you know if you ever did try and get clean, you'd need to leave me. You'd have to quit your life and stop talking to your friends and your life as you know it would be over. Now, Maya was threatening me with the cost of discipleship. But in a really unintended way, it was also a call to discipleship. It was a roadmap. It was a reminder that if I wanted to truly be alive, if I wanted to stop surviving, if I wanted to be pursuing the life that God intended for me, pursuing openness and connection and love, I would have to leave behind everything that was keeping me in patterns of death. And when I finally did trust that the treasure was truly there hidden in that field, trust that life was worth living for, trust that thriving was possible, that is when I learned to aim higher and worry less, to expect more, I did exactly as Maya had instructed me. I gave up my whole life, everything I knew. Take it. I don't want it. I don't need it. I stopped talking to all my friends who were using. I moved. I quit school. I gave up everything. I just wanted life. And I knew that there was more than the surviving that I had been doing. The kingdom way it requires wholehearted commitment. It requires action. Even in these short parables, we have verbs like dig and seek and sell all. Have you ever felt like you had to give up everything? Have you ever felt like you gave up something that you thought defined you in order to pursue something even higher and more true to who you really are? In my example, it was heroin, but it was also unhealthy relationships. It was also negative self-talk. It was also my settling for just barely surviving. And it was neutral things. And it was even good things. I gave up college for a time. But it was necessary for my thriving. 
my surviving could have led to death very, very easily. And even though I did survive that time in my life, I felt pretty dead inside most of the time. But giving up everything opened the door to truly being alive. And this last week, I quietly celebrated 15 years clean. My life's a lot better. My life's a lot more. In both of these parables, the finder of the treasure and the merchant with the pearl, they aren't able to acquire them without first selling everything they had previously invested themselves in. If we want to pursue the kingdom of God, if we want to pursue truly living and loving, being alive and thriving, what must we divest ourselves of? What must you divest of personally? What do we collectively need to divest ourselves of, to take resources away from, to sell it off, to say this is not it, take it, take it away. We don't want it, we don't need it. What we need is the kingdom. What we need is God's love. What we need is better imagination. What we need is hope. And we believe that hidden in that field is something worth living for more than anything that we've been told to settle for. I want to give a more recent, perhaps slightly less dramatic, personal story that is no less profound for me. Now, I am a survivor of childhood trauma, hence the heroin. But it gave me debilitating anxiety and depression. And that formed itself into complex PTSD. My using heroin as an adolescent was a coping skill. It was a bad one, but it was a coping skill. It was me trying to survive. And when I got clean, it was me making a choice that I didn't want to just survive anymore. I wanted to heal. And I gave up everything for it. But healing has been a slow, slow road. And in the beginning, as I sought healing, as I sought that treasure, as I dug into the ground, as I dug into myself, I developed better coping skills. I learned to breathe. I learned to meditate. Worship became a coping skill, music, exercise, and so much therapy. And at first, all of my therapy and all of these things was about managing managing that anxiety and depression, learning not just to survive in the barest sense, but to find ways to thrive through the pain, through the anxiety and depression. I cannot recommend it enough. It made life more possible for me. And then I wanted more. I wanted more life. I wanted more healing. And so I started to look into body work I did a bunch of acupuncture. I tried things that I had never heard of before, like cranial sacral therapy. And eventually I found my way to somatic therapy, which is a combination of body work and talk therapy. I found a practitioner who does something called CRM, which is just one kind of that combination of breath and body work along with 
talk therapy. This particular kind of therapy also brings in a lot of meditation. For me, it's a lot of visualization. And because of my faith, it became a form of prayer and connection to God. I wanted so badly to be healed. And my therapist told me that we could heal my trauma, not just manage it, but heal it. That through the work, I could cease to be depressed and anxious all the time. I didn't really believe her um, because everything I had ever been told by the world around me was to settle, that this was just a function of my brain and that is what it is and all I could do is manage it. But I was willing to try. It was intense. I had intense weekly therapy. And again, in that field, I was just digging in the dirt digging in the dirt of my own body, my own psyche, my own spirit, looking for that treasure. I would search my body like that merchant searching for pearls. I would pray, I would weep, and I would go back and do it again and again and again. And it was really hard. About four months in, I started to see the fruit of that labor. My depression lifted for the first time in more than a decade, and my anxiety was less. Now that time of lifted depression and lessened anxiety, it was temporary. But the joy I experienced at being fully alive, the glimpse I got at who I could be if I was freed from some of my trauma, was overwhelming. I was in, and the hard work was worth it because I wanted to be healed, I wanted to be more alive each and every day. I was invited to invest in myself and in my healing and in the ways of eternal life. And I've been at it now for almost four years. Four years, weekly, sometimes for 90 minutes or longer at a time. The trauma work that I do, the healing trauma work we do in therapy is not a quick fix or an easy road. It is a form of discipleship, a form of hope, of connecting to God and to myself. And Cameron can attest, some weeks it takes everything out of me. But Cameron can also attest, as can everyone else in my life who's close enough to see. I am healing. In so many ways, I have been healed. I have found connection and aliveness I'm thriving in ways I didn't think was possible. And I have given up so much, and I regret nothing. It is worth every penny, every hour in session, every tear I have shed, every breath I have taken to heal. It is worth it. Take everything. I don't want it. I don't need it. I want God. I want life. I want more. I want more than everything I have had. I want more than everything I have been told I need. I want the kingdom. I want the fullness. I want love. Doing trauma work has been the most direct experience I have ever had of Jesus' call to aim higher, to expect more, and to be willing to give everything for it. We can 
be made whole by the love of God and by the healing of relationship and by therapy and by breath and by prayer and by hope and connection and laughter and sorrow and weeping. We can, by being fully alive, be more fully alive. We can, by risking everything, gain infinitely more. Which brings me to the last lesson of this parable, the joy of discovery. When the finder discovers the treasure, the scripture says he was filled with joy. And this emphasis on joy, I feel like I can, I can feel it in my body when I read that parable. It was not a hard decision for this finder to sell everything. He knew what he had, and it made him so full of joy to say, I have found it. He didn't even have it in his possession yet, but he said, I have seen it, and it is worth giving up everything for. I'm going for it. And the joy at that discovery was overwhelming to him. The joy at discovering the fullness of life can be overwhelming and beautiful. The delight at being fully alive for the first time, it's remarkable. But I also noticed that in the second parable, the merchant, there is no mention of the joy that the merchant felt when finding the pearl. Now perhaps this was just an omission because Jesus was detailing other things. But I wonder, I wonder if the treasure finder was not looking for a treasure, but stumbled upon it, was surprised by it, and therefore filled with a shock of joy. Whereas the pearl merchant was looking, was searching, perhaps was longing. And what that tells me is that maybe it's okay if those of us who are searching, when we do finally find what we need, maybe are not overwhelmed with joy. Maybe we're relieved. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we wish it had come a little sooner. But it is okay not to be overwhelmed with joy so long as we still know the value of what we have found. Because the merchant's response is the same as the finder of the treasure in the field. Take everything. I don't want it or need it anymore. I just want you, God. I just want this treasure. I just want this pearl that I've been longing for and searching for. But if we are hoping for a little more joy, a little more overwhelm, a little more delight, then perhaps even though we faithfully search and we should keep searching, perhaps we can search with intention and hold on to the surprise of the one who stumbles upon it. Maybe we can create room for surprise and a little innocence that we can expect abundance and still be surprised by it. Is there room for God to surprise you? Do you still feel awe and delight when you see the goodness of God pouring out in your life? This is a call to look for the treasure, look for the pearl, look for the kingdom. Expect it, aim high, but also let yourself be awed when you see it. Let yourself be delighted and surprised. 
by the abundance that is promised and fulfilled, by life fully realized. And remember with joy that it is worth giving up everything else in pursuit of. Will you pray with me? God of the way, God of true life, help us to discover you on purpose and by accident. Help us to be overwhelmed with joy at who you are and the way that you have intended for us, the true way, the way of life. And give us the boldness and courage to leave everything else behind that does not serve. To find the new way in your love and to be truly alive in the gospel. Amen.